this show. Beautiful Tuesday morning. And I bet you're a bit surprised to hear me again. <laughs> I bet they're all wondering where Lyle and Lawson went. Um, I think Lyle, uh, Lyle is still on leave and Lawson, I think, might have contracted no. the Rona. Oh. Poor kid. Yeah, he went off to summer camp. And, um, oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. All his mates have it. He's just waiting for his test results, uh-huh, but yeah. he's pretty crook. So it's back in the studio this morning with Rick Foray and myself. Yes. Welcome and, to the show. And your long trip back, you've made it. I'll tell you what, I think I walked into the studio with two minutes and 40 seconds to spare because <laughs> I'd already returned to Brisbane and then I got to Brisbane and turned around and came straight back. So that's my gratitude yeah, story. Yeah, 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 uh, safe yeah. travels. Yeah. yeah, it was a big trip. Welcome back. Thanks. <laughs> what are you grateful for this morning, Rick? Oh, look, I, I'm grateful for relationships. My lovely wife turned birthday today. And I, and, I, and I think the importance of friendships and relationships in humanity are so important. True. They were, that's what makes life sweet. It's really I'm not going to ask you how old she is, but I will ask you how long you've been married. I think, oh, wrong words to start with. <laughs> <laughs> Should I maybe ask it's, you after the next? It's forty three, I think. Forty three. Oh wow! Congratulations! Yeah, That's yeah, amazing. Forty three good years. Yeah. I'm not even forty three years old. You've been <laughs> married longer than I've been alive. Oh, I'm so old. <laughs> rubbish, rubbish. We're not that old yet. Not yet. We'll be old after a couple of millennia in heaven. Ah, uh, we'll yeah. never grow old. That's it. That's the plan. That's the plan. Give us a call and tell us what you're grateful for. We'd love to hear it. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You are listening to Faith FM Breakfast Show this morning with Rick Frey and Mon in the studio, uh, filling in for the leave team. Rick, it is time to engage our brains with the pentathlon quiz. Ah, uh, this early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mean to slap you in the face to wake you up. Got a wet fish back here I can use. <laughs> okay, so this uh, this quiz, we all know how it works. Uh, it's five questions. Each question increases in points, uh, 100 through to 500. You can tap out at any time and collect a prize. Or you can wait all the way to the end, and if you've gotten them all right, you can get all the prizes in one big goodie bag. Uh, so today, the first question goes like this. How many days and nights did it rain when Noah was on the ark? Oh. Don't say it out loud, Rick. Do you know what it is? You look at your thinking face. I'll say it one more time. I used to know. How, <laughs> how many days and nights did it rain when Noah was on the ark? So it's progressively going to get harder, the questions. That's our first one. Uh, give us a call or a text, 0491 You can have a chat to DJ Shell. Um, and if you would like to keep going through the quiz, uh, she will keep track of your answers. Or if you just want to tap out and get the prize early, let her know, and you can win uh, one of several prizes. So it starts off with a Faith FM bookmark and bumper sticker. Then you can have a back issue of the Science Magazine if you get the second one right. Third, you get a pocket sermon. Fourth, the bargain book of the day. And then fa- uh, the fifth one is the book of the day. Mm. Yeah, so very special. Um, give it a go. How many days and nights did it rain when Noah was on the ark? Now, Rick. Yes. I've got some good news to share with you. Good on you. I love good news. Good news. This is actually really fun. Have you ever... Um, have you ever seen the movie Cool Runnings? No. I love that movie. I watched it when I was a kid. It's, a, it's a, based on a true story about the Jamaican um, athletes who decided that they wanted to join the bobsled team, which just seems <laughs> you know, incredible because Jamaica, there's Winter no Olympics. snow. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out uh, this day and age we have our own 
Aussie desert girl who is deciding to join the Winter Olympics and go bobsledding. Um, so this is an incredible story, a little sporting story. Her name is Kiara Redingus, and she is from Leonora out in WA. It's really, really remote um, outback town, like out in the desert. This chick is like from the sand, oh. and uh, and she's decided that she wants to join the Olympic bobsled team, and uh, and she's having a good go at it. I was so impressed. She's she's really just beating a lot of odds, first of all, where she's from. Uh, second of all, she only decided when she was 20, so that's um, pretty that's late for an athlete. On, yeah. Most athletes start around six or seven years yeah. old. And um, and she she is just unstoppable. So <laughs> she, she's heading off to the Winter Olympics uh, next month. Um, she's a brake woman, so she pushes the bobsled to give it momentum at the start. So you get like a oh, lot of power yeah. in your arms. Yep. Um, she practices on the farm by pushing around her dad on the quad, <laughs> on the quad bike. So she pushes it around the <laughs> around the dirt, and um, and yeah, and so they've decided that they're going to be taking her on the Australian Olympic Committee team. And uh, it's pretty funny when she did her first race, yeah. um, the commentator was like. Is this the one that hasn't seen snow before? Uh. <laughs> so she's out there making a difference. Um, so incredible. Check out, check out her story online. There's lots of pictures. Um, just really encouraging if you have a, a big dream that might seem insurmountable. Just remember that even if you're from the desert and you're getting a bit long on the yeah. tooth, you can still join the Olympic bobsled team. Yeah. She says some pretty interesting stuff. I didn't really know too much about the sport other than the movie Cool Runnings, like Sanka, you're dead, man. I love all the lines from it. Um, but she said you, uh, you, know, you push the bobsled and she quotes, you jump in and you pretty much just fold over like a pancake and stay as low as you possibly can. Yeah. So this thing gets um, up to speeds over 100 kilometres per hour. <laughs> I've seen some of them in those tutors, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, in that movie, Cool Runnings, um, you know, when the guy, when the coach is uh, telling the athletes what they're in for, he says, <clears throat> if you have an accident, you, your bones don't break, they shatter. Um, so that's how, f- <laughs> that's how fast you're going down these tubes. Um, <laughs> you look a bit stunned oh, there. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no choice there. Just- yeah. Um, so you definitely don't want to um, yeah, be messing around. No. If you're going to be serious, serious. about this, you've yeah. got to be serious. Um, yeah, so uh, I think at the moment, I'm just reading this through, I think the top speed that she's had is 115 Ks. Wow. And um, I just did 110 Ks all the way down the Pacific Highway all day yesterday and some of this morning. And um, that already feels pretty fast. So 115 well, and, and a little, little tiny, sled, uh. yeah, a little bobsled. Incredible. Um, so, yeah, good for you, um, Kiara. It's a really great dream and, mm. and really hope to see, you know, you win some gold. We'll be rooting for you. Have to watch that. I know. I'm so, Yeah, it's going to be the, yeah. one of the first times I actually watch <laughs> it's sort of It's sort of like a movie titled Desert Meets Snow. Yeah, yeah. Sand meets... Ice. 200 points for this one. Sand, <laughs> sand yeah. meets ice. Yeah, that's it. Desert Girl Conquers the yeah. Ice Waves, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so another good news story. This is so cute. Um, 11-year-old, her name's Eli, uh, she has started a business and you'll never guess what it is. 11-year-old. 11-year-old starts uh, a business and she, guess what she's doing? She's selling pine cones. She's actually been doing it for four years. So she started it when she was like six years old. And um, she, like, the, oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. It's a he. Eli is a he. I get that mixed up with the um, androgynous names. So Eli has been selling pine cones now for four years since he was six. And um, apparently they're popular as fire starters and you can use them as mulch around yep, trees yep. and plants. 
And um, so his business his business plan is pretty simple. He picks up pine cones at his grandma's house <laughs> near Millicent in South Australia on the limestone coast. He bags up all the pine cones and then he sells the pine cones. Entrepreneur, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> he said the harder part is that we actually have to bag them after we get uh, them all. <laughs> I thought he was going to paint them or something, but these are actually yeah. Dear. Well, when I first started reading, I thought oh, maybe he like decorates them, but apparently um, some people do decorate them. You know, recently. Um, I was doing some shopping on an online website for European foods, like imported European foods, and I purchased a jar of something I'd never heard of before, and that was pine cone syrup. Oh, yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's it comes it looks it looks almost like honey, but very dark, much darker, and it's runny like honey and syrupy. Um, and then inside is a little pine cone as well. Oh. You know how when you buy like honey and it has a bit of honeycomb honey in it, cone, yeah. you can actually eat the honeycomb. You can suck and chew on it. So it's the same with a little pine cone. Um, and it was actually quite delicious, more mild than I thought it would mm. be. I thought it would kind of taste like pino clean or something. <laughs> but pino clean, yes. yeah. But it's not that strong. It's it's a very subtle pine flavor, almost yeah. indistinguishable from honey. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this, uh, this, uh, this young fellow, Eli, he's got a great work ethic. He does all his own marketing as well. Uh, so he does picking primarily in the drier months and then he actually stockpiles them ready for winter. So he's not, he's not kicking up his heels in, in, uh, in the summertime. He makes hay while the sun shines. Yeah. Um, so he collects thousands of pine wow. cones from his mum's property. Uh, and there's the pine trees that he's collected them all, uh, collected them from have been in the family for 200 years. Okay. So lots and plenty, like plenty and plenty of old growth trees. Um, he's, he does about 20 minutes to fill up half a trailer and, uh, and then, yeah, and then he, he's the, he's the boss and the face of the business and he's like the CEO, but his mum helps him it's, with the Facebook and the Instagram. It's interesting, I wonder who buys the pine cones. I mean, as kids, we'd you know, you'd just walk on top of them and right, yeah. they were like, it's like pet rocks. <laughs> Shell Americans are right into pet. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have pet rocks? No. no we used I. to throw our pet rocks. <laughs> but pine cones, it's fascinating. Yeah. I, well, where I grew up in Western Australia, we always had a plethora of pine trees. And so I, yeah. could, I, I had just boggles in my mind that someone would pay for them. But it turns out a bag contains roughly 39 cones and it sells for about 20 bucks online. So you can buy it like Facebook or Instagram. And, um, and yeah. So that's oh, I'd love to know who's buying them. That's basically what that, that's like. 50 cents a cone? Yeah. Cone? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's We should go into business, Rick. <laughs> what are we doing on the radio? Let's I'm go look, pick up I'm some looking, pine cones. I'm looking at the trees outside yeah. the studio and thinking leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's funny you should mention that because there is a business in Canada where um, people uh, collect up those maple leaves like yes. when they're in their yes. beautiful red and yeah. then they put them in resin and make like almost like a coaster, yeah. and then they send it to Canadians who have yeah. moved away from Canada. They have a booming business for expats who are all over the planet, and they miss their Canadian Can I, yep. autumn, and so they can buy a maple leaf, and they can have it shipped so to So you've got to find that Canada. connection out there, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, something personal, yeah. something personal. Uh, yeah, so uh, young Eli, very uh, entrepreneurial. <laughs> he's uh, got about – his stock is currently about 40 bags, so about 1,500 pine cones, and he's going to be selling it pretty quick coming this winter, he reckons. He might even have to triple his stockpiling this time around because everyone's staying home because of coronavirus. <laughs> Good on you, Eli. Yeah. Hey, if you've got like a young person in your life who's entrepreneurial, give us a call. We love hearing those stories. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Come back. It is time for the second quiz clue worth 200 points. You ready, Rick? Ready to go. Through what did God speak to Moses in the desert? Uh, I feel like this one's easier than the first one. Yeah. Through what did God speak to Moses in the desert? What medium did he use in the desert there? 
Give us a call 0491064669 or text us um, and keep playing through the pentathlon quiz and you could win a bag of goodies at the end. Welcome back. This is The Breakfast Show this morning with Rick and Mon. Rick. Yes. I hear you have some news from around the world. Well, do we want do we want good news or hard news or both or a little of each or just one? Tell us your favourite. Oh, look. Whatever you've prepped. Can I fit two in really quickly? Oh, absolutely. You've got like eight minutes. Go nuts. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, yesterday we were talking about um, uh, the ecology and environment and that sort of thing and how the big company IKEA is oh. buying acres of land so that companies can't buy it and build and are reforesting it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so I mentioned that uh, they have now bought in Florida, around Florida, 600,000 600, acres, about the size of Mauritius. Wow. And anyway, so uh, I was I was reading. Um, Hang on, so that so they're buying it so they can block people from ruining it, and but but regulated reforestering. So so it'll be graduated. So it's not just go in, cut, and don't. It's it's going to be planned, planned gotcha. uh, pine trees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Another reason to love IKEA. Yeah, <laughs> go buy your furniture. But <laughs> but hey, look, a lot of a number of families struggle with uh, with. Um, Having little bubbies, mm-hmm. uh, reproducing, etc., and IVF has become well known. Uh, but it's not only relating to the human species. Oh. Our little land of Australia, we have um, scientists have had success now with our Great Barrier Reef using IVF. No, yeah. what? <laughs> A new dash of hope. I've got to put my glasses on for this one. A new dash of hope. I, I need to read this, folks. Is on the horizon thanks to the latest success of coral IVF babies. No, this is incredible. Which has shown the promising potential to restore Uh the damaged reefs that exist. The Great Barrier Reef Foundation has been working on a project to help restore the damaged corals by using, developing and using a batch of coral IVF babies grown from microscopic larvae. And since 2016, so for the last six years, they've been monitoring. So what is it? I'll give you a quick insight. It, coral IVF consists of gathering coral spawn from healthy reefs, which then reproduce, create millions of baby corals. These baby corals are released and they float around in reefs, in tanks, and then they're delivered to the damaged reefs and restore and repopulate them. So much of the coral on the Great Barrier Reef reproduced by sending enormous quantities of spawn into the water. The eggs are fertilised, turn into free-swimming tiny larvae. When this larvae is mature enough, the researchers can take the matured larvae and deliver them to damaged reefs where they they cab-attach. I'm not sure what that cab-attach means, but they develop into fully-grown corals. I think that's pretty exciting. That's incredible. I do I do have a couple of questions, though, because it's surprising you should bring this up. I was watching something about um, corals over the weekend, and I was, I was really devastated to find out that um, over half, of the world's corals are dead now. Yeah, They're yeah. like when they, when they go white and they bleach and they die. Yep. Um, which is a, which is just a staggering sum, fifty percent. Um, and I also was further saddened to find that um, that was by the way that was of 2019. 2019, half the world's corals dead. In twenty seventeen, a thousand kilometers of our Great Barrier Reef died. A thousand in one year alone. That's crazy. Yeah. What I want to know is, like, it's great. It's, it's, it's incredible that they're doing this UV yep. coral baby scheme. But when they put it in the water, isn't the same thing that killed the original coral going to kill the babies, which is the, the water temperature rising? Yeah, look, 
you wouldn't want to think it's going to be a standalone project that's going to succeed. It's, it's going to be able to hold. So I'm not sure on that side, but it's a good point. Um, if you're not treating all the causes and all the issues like the runoff, the poisons, the toxins yeah. and all yeah. of that sort of thing. Um, but good on them for coming oh, coming that far. That's incredible. Yeah, look, the managing director, Anna Marsden, said mm-hmm. the results are promising. Uh, quote, we couldn't be more excited to see that these coral babies have grown from microscopic larvae to the size of dinner plates. Wow. So that gives people a bit yeah. of a perspective, having not only survived a bleaching event, but are now reproducing themselves helping to reproduce larvae that can restore a degraded reef. So uh, let's hope because... Uh, look, what excites me about this is God, again, has given humanity the tools of investigating, mm. of repairing. God's the great repairer. He works through humans to be able to restore that which we've... Stu- um, wrong word. Um, ruined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. And and to see this sort of activity take place, it just... It, it, I, I feel... I feel um, Humanity, oh, if only we'd recognised where the source of all this was coming from. The yeah. great work that scientists do, even mm-hmm. though they may not recognise this as godly source, mm. it's still God working. The fingers of God are there. And yeah. I think it, whatever we can do to restore things, uh, you know, it's, I just find that exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever been scuba diving? Oh, I love it. I have never been scuba diving, but I really hope when I get round to it one day that there's some beautiful coral. Because you know how they say it's one of the most colourful oh. things on earth? And yet, the times that I've gone scuba dive, I'm not sorry, snorkeling, it already, already just looks pretty brown and white and grey. And so I'm always like, "Where's this gorgeous oh, coral?" People speak of. It's um, what have we got? Seven eights under the under the water, oh, under wow. the sea, oh, under the sea. Area. <laughs> we lived on a little island called Pitcairn Island for oh. four years, a mutiny on the Bounty Island, out way at, closer to Chile. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no place in the world that is that is free of contaminants and diving visibility. And uh, we would we would. One of my friends said, Ricky, you love water. I'm just going to put a, a tank on your back. You know how to free dive. In you go. And I sat down an atmosphere just 30 feet for 45 minutes and was just totally in another experience because wow. it was so big. Manta ray, we just saw it all. Oh, wow. So, Mon, you've got to get into it oh, because so much, of, so much of uh, what we, who want, we are is under the water. I want to see it before it all disappears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, actually, in that, in that documentary I was watching over the weekend, they were saying that manta rays grow up to uh, seven metres in width, which is the width of my bus out there, my, my coaster, to and, coaster and, bus. And to see these creatures in the, in the whales, I mean, oh, wow. over here you couldn't, you can't. You get close. You don't want to get too close, but the majesty of the mm. cr- created, created, you know, parts of our lives. Um, the the big whales, sharks, manta ray, just all types of fish. Um, yeah, we're on another topic, but uh, <laughs> it's just a part of God's yeah. nature. It's great. Yeah, and if anyone listening is concerned about the corals um, and they're dying and global warming, the biggest destruction uh, pollutant in the planet is animal agriculture. And so, if you're concerned, try going vegan or at least vegetarian. You'll be doing your part to uh, to, yeah, yeah. to protect those species yeah. that are dying off. It's all connected. Just in the last uh, minute before we go to our next song break, I did want to um, do a little prayer request out there. I'm sure everyone has seen now that the Australian government has now urged um, all Australians to leave the Ukraine. This uh, came yeah. out late last night. Uh, pretty pretty devastating. Um, Ukraine has now hit the do not travel list um, due to the fact that 
there is an increased risk of armed conflict with Russia. So Russia has its troops uh, just outside the border and they're claiming they don't want to invade, but... Just over 100,000. That's yeah, a fair that's, move. That's <laughs> a fair move to not want to invade. I just reading the history of all that. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 not, it's difficult times. Yeah, it's pretty devastating. So Australians, um, mem- like family members of Australian diplomats and, um, and all kinds of stuff uh, from the Australian embassy, they're all being evacuated. And, uh, yeah, it was just uh, keep them in your prayers that everyone can get out safely. Um, it might be a bit tetchy at the moment trying to get um, – they're saying the safest way is through commercial travel, um, but they need to be uh, aware that sometimes um, these can all be cancelled or, or oh, just, yeah, yeah um, um, put back yes. on the ground. So, yeah, it's a bit bit of a tetchy moment. People yeah. are stressed out. Um, I really hope that this doesn't, doesn't – yeah. Evolve into something much yeah, bigger. Yeah, we definitely keep this in prayer. It is yep. certainly uh, signs of the times, oh, wars yeah. and rumours of wars. Let's hope this one stays at a rumour yeah. and doesn't actually escalate into a real war. Uh, that was our news section for today. We hope you are more informed. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Welcome back to Faith FM. Uh, you're listening to The Breakfast Show this morning with Mon and Rick in the studio today and it is time for the third question of our pentathlon quiz. Are you ready, Rick? Ready, ready. Name the place where Jesus walked on water. Oh. Pretty straightforward question. If you know the answer, 0491-064-669. Just save that number in your phone so I don't have to tell you every day. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm saying it too fast, you can jump on our website, faithfm.com.au and just find it on there. But you can name the place where Jesus walked on water for some serious prizes this morning. Yeah. You know where it is? Uh, it's to do with water. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what gave that away. <laughs> is that a clue? <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is a body of water, yes. Okay. Yeah, and not a puddle. A lot bigger than a puddle. <laughs> uh, this morning we have our interview um, with a representative from Asian Aid. Very great. exciting. Yeah, doing yeah. great work. Uh, Sue Burke, is it? Yep, that's me. Morning, hi, Sue. Guys. How are you? Morning. Good. Hi, Mum and Rick. How are you doing? I feel like saying welcome to you both because <laughs> you usually have a chat to Lyle. So. Yeah, we could do with the welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Sue, what's been going on with Asian Aid? Well, obviously, like any part of the world, we've all had some challenges and no more so than vulnerable children and that's what we kind of do. We look after children in India, Bangladesh and Nepal. Um, obviously, you probably saw during the year some really crazy images of what's been going on in those countries yeah. with COVID and, um, you know, I'm very proud to say that, you know, um, that the work that Maisie Fook, who founded us after the Korean War, which was to serve vulnerable children after the war, um, in 1966 still continues today. The most vulnerable children are being looked after. And for us, our kind of objective is to help them fill their God-given potential, really. Um, and that's through education and assisting their families to lift them up through, you know, amazing projects that create farming opportunities and Sewing opportunity. I mean, there's so many small business opportunities, and really around our Venter schools as well. So you know, it, I kind of like to say that we like to not just look at education, but flourishing faith and future prospects. So that's kind of what we do. It's pretty exciting. 
Yeah, wow. How long is to be able to do that every day? 1966, yeah. So after returning from Seoul in South Korea, Maisie Fook, who's our founder, just felt really inspired to do more for the orphan children that she'd met after the war. And subsequently, I'm not sure if you know of a very amazing woman called Helen Eager, only joined her two years later. So, and, and as a, as a, Subject to those those two women women created, I, I, I like to say they had a calling to serve beyond just everyday serving Christ, and we've now supported children and their family over fifty thousand children across wow. multiple countries. Wow! So. Like I just want to ask: Is it true? Because I, I I have a, I've been watching some um um some yep some documentaries online, and, and is it true that the stigma uh, around being an orphan is much greater in Asian countries than, than it is here, like in Australia? Yeah, it's probably a really challenging question. I, I actually sat in a World Health Organization discussion on this last year because there's a whole heap of discussion around is there going to be a generation of COVID orphans mm. and what does that all mean and how are we going to help and you know, how do you activate all of that kind of research? Um, And we aren't seeing that huge trend in the countries we're working in at the moment. Um, So that's a blessing. But, yeah, I think it's more the big challenge. It's not so much orphans. It's what we kind of term in, like, the aid world as educational orphans. How do we, how do we reactivate a relationship so, so really vulnerable families don't feel like they have to give up their children into the system? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, where do we, where do we provide the inter, like, where's our intercept yeah. so we can actually provide meaningful support so that they don't feel like they have to give up their children because I I would say uh, what's a true orphan in Asia and that's probably a bigger question and it's a huge question because there are so many and there's not like foster support Mm. in those countries. So there's not like an in-between child support, foster support. Like if you're really struggling to feed children, on an everyday, I mean, these people literally are on a day-to-day yeah. proposition. Yeah. It's not like whether you're paying your mobile phone or your gas. They're like, can I feed my children? So, you know, that level of desperation, like how do we intercept? And that's what we've been really trying to do, particularly in our Adventist community, and really providing that safe area so that families don't feel like they have to give up their children. They can provide, we can provide faith and future prospects moving forward. And that's, that's a really exciting thing for us. yeah. Because that must yeah, be such so, a heartbreaking decision as an adult, as a parent, to decide to give up your children. I didn't realise that that was the issue. I didn't realise that people were surrendering their children because they couldn't feed them anymore. So do they, do they just like um, like drop them or off? Or sell their children. Or sell their children. Sell them. Yeah. My word. And so, I mean, so I know just, that sounds like a really extreme thing, 
But we don't live, we're so blessed in mm. Australia. Yeah. We have no idea. Yep. You know, and we don't have questions about who's going to die, who's going to live in our family. That That's not something, no. thank goodness, in Australia we is never a challenge. Yeah. So in these countries, you know, there's no child support, no single mum support, there's no kind of infrastructure. And so it's literally they're living on day by day and particularly COVID made that more vulnerable. And and the fact that we've managed to keep eyes on the children and now they're all returning to school, like it's such a ble- – like I can't tell you every day to work for a charity that just is making a really meaningful impact. Yeah, wow. Like it's just so exciting every day to go to work, you know. <laughs> So with 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 those issues that you and we yeah you're so right we work from a totally different worldview in this in this in this environment we live in, it's just a totally different worldview we don't even we're so detached from that um, what are the mechanisms and processes that that you work through to reengage family to to just what you've told us you've mm. contextualised it really well what are the mechanisms and processes that you actually tangibly do a day to day to try and help those things. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, COVID's been a horrible situation for everyone. But I think for us, the biggest thing was how do we keep eyes on the child? When they were returned through government insistence, like we'll close the schools, let's right. go. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, how, do, how do we keep eyes on vulnerable children that are going to places where there's no phone lines, you know, uh, no electricity? So we implemented a whole series of welfare checks. We provided them with tools because, you know, people complain about online learning. There's been, that's not an option for many places. No. So, you know, do we provide batteries for the radio learning that was going on in some of those countries? Like pens and paper. Life. Yeah, just basic essentials that are taken for granted. Most yeah, of the world. yeah, and most importantly, we created something called the Family Food Fund, oh. which was to ensure the whole family was fed. Which sounds a really weird thing, but you can't sponsor a child and bring them home into a vulnerable environment, right? And not feed the community. Yes, you can't just feed one per. It makes them more vulnerable. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and. That really strikes at our individualistic nature, isn't it? It's 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 a whole community sort of a relational process you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Here. And I think the old fashioned, well, the old styles like you give a child a rod to teach them how to fish. Yep. Now we say, well, if you teach them to fish and you pull them back into a vulnerable community, they're going to fish for the whole community. So let's give the community a net. So they can fish for everyone, hey, and that's the most like important that, yeah. thing. Yeah, that's a good upgrade. You know, it, it sounds like a weird thing, and obviously, te- like allowing educational and faith opportunities is our primary focus. But as part of that, we don't want these kids to return into. We want their educational experience to be the same as their family experience. Let's yes, put it that way. Yes. Yes. And often that's not the case. And probably, I mean, we've been aiming to do that, but probably 
COVID really made us focus on that a bit more to make sure the family was as uplifted as the child. So it sounds like um, the community there is quite resilient. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know about how you feel about COVID and beyond, but I think if anything, it's got to have taught our children resilience and and ourselves, you know. God, you know, we have this amazing power in us with faith, which is like we depend on God, and that's an amazing thing, right? But to feel humbled and feeling alone, which I think for many people, COVID's kind of brought us to our knees a little mm-hmm. across the board. It's and I think shown that's our vulnerabilities, that, hasn't it? It's 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 explored our vulnerabilities. Yeah, you know, it's like last year, my husband and I lost everything in the flood because we live in Warhope, just near Port Macquarie. Oh, that's my home. Uh, okay, well, yeah. So we live in Warhope. So we lost everything. Uh, Seventy centimeters. I remember that. Above, we could say anything else we couldn't. So, and it was such a weird experience. I mean, we were insured, we were luckier than most. We were insured, you know, but just in your 50s for the first time to go, we can't physically do this ourselves. We can't move this couch. It's now sodden with water. Yeah. And then to have the Defence Force and the SES and everyone, I mean, it took six guys to lift out our bed. Wow. That's how sodden it was. And, you know, it's amazing. I, I said to my husband, we've always, and that's such a weird word, pride, we've always prouded, like been really pride, prided ourselves on helping others. Mm-hmm. But to feel so humbled <laughs> that you can't help yourself yeah. is just like a quite a, I think, it's it a job, your pride it? apart. Yeah. It's humbling. Yeah. <laughs> And and I think what it's made me feel like during this COVID situation, what's going on in these vulnerable communities, is we don't actually realise in Australia what our blessings are yeah. and how we are provided just because of our birthright for yeah. no other reason, just that the that we live here yeah. and in those countries there isn't the SES. There's not those that step up to help. You by yourself. My husband and I wouldn't have been able to physically get stuff out of the house. Yeah. So you can only imagine, and we're only 50, so you can only imagine what it would be like for a family in India, Bangladesh, and Nepal that don't have that level of support. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just- when they feel vulnerable, they, they are truly vulnerable. I mean, we can feel humbled, but they feel vulnerable. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Big difference. So just in our last 30 seconds here of this interview, and I was just wondering, what is it that our listeners can do to help Asian Aid with their, with their endeavours? Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest trend we've found since the pandemic is that traditionally we've sent children away to boarding schools, and we still have that facility. But what the families have kind of said to us is they don't want to have extensive lockdowns and they want to see the kids, which we all get. Um, so what we're really doing is we're supercharging our Adventist school programs. So the communities around our Adventist schools, we're not just improving the schools, but improving the lives of 
the children and families there through community projects like um, tree planting, fresh water, irrigation, farming lessons, sewing lessons. And so, yeah, if you could, if, if anyone feels touched, um, they could go to asianaid.org.au and we'd really appreciate any support. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Sue. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.